right, man, look, look with me tonight, and we're going to start in Exodus 14. We're going to look at verse 10, and we're going to go to verse 14 right now. God's word says this right here. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, excuse me, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Israelites were harsh. Verse 13, but Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. If you wonder where the title came from, that's where it is tonight. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. Man, number one tonight, college students, is we have to have a reliance on God. If you do not want to fear, if you want to defeat the fear in your life, you have to have a reliance on on God. And we see very quickly when the Israelites see the Egyptians approaching, they respond in a correct way. They cry out to the Lord. In Psalm 34, 17, this is what God's word says about that. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. If you want to encourage in verse, Psalm 34, 17, and rescues them from all their troubles. When we find ourselves in dangerous places with no escape, we must cry out to God. But it doesn't only say it there. Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And tonight we'll see that the Israelites, it seemed like they had no place to go. As, as they were approaching, they were approaching the Red Sea, so that was in front of them. But then the, the Egyptians, they were coming up behind them. So they were in a situation that seemed like they had nowhere to go. And even though it seems as if they don't have a way out, we can't forget this is a very important detail. God has led them out of slavery and has led them to this point. Don't forget that. As we came out of Exodus 12 last week, they were free from the Egyptians. And now God has been leading them all the way up to this point. And, you know, similar situations like that happen in your lives. They happen in my lives. They happen in everybody's lives today. Sometimes God will place his people in a dilemma so that he can be glorified as he teaches us more about himself and as he accomplishes his purpose. But the question is, again, how do you respond in the problem? How do you respond in the dilemma? In verse 11, the Israelites look at Moses and they responded in fear and in doubt of what just had happened previously. Again, the Israelites just saw and experienced freedom. But as soon as they see their old fears again, as soon as they see the Egyptians again, they start to shoot down Moses. They start to say, Moses, what have you done? They start to point the finger. They start to blame. They start to point the blame somewhere else. Because what's crazy is in the midst of fear, it has taken, what fear will do to you, college students, it will take your eyes off of God. It will maximize your problem and it will try to minimize your God. College students, it's completely opposite. When you're in the midst of fear, when you're in the midst of the problem, you have to maximize the gods you serve and that will minimize your problem. That's for somebody tonight. 
And look at how they questioned Moses, how they doubted the miracle they just witnessed. They asked Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt, that's kind of sarcastic, that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Their fear and cry out to the Lord made sense, but their words to Moses showed that they, they didn't, they've already lost faith and confidence in God. And as you read this passage, there's no way they could think that Moses planned for this specific situation. Like the Israelites couldn't really say, man, like Moses, you, you schemed us, you were scheming against us and you brought us to this point. Moses was on their side the whole time. They really mocked Moses with their response because they knew Egypt specialized in graves and had about three-fourths of its land available for grave sites. And then verse 12, the Israelites take it a step further by reminding Moses that they told him to leave them alone. The guy who had delivered them from slavery quickly became the person they wanted to blame. Isn't that what we do when we get fearful? Or when we're in the midst of a problem, we, we get so freaked out, we get so worried, that we get so worked up that instead of responding to the situation, we just react to the situation. And when we just react out of something, when we just, when we just react and don't take time to process this, to pray through it, man, nothing good typically comes from our, nothing good does come from our fleshly reactions. But when you're in the problem, when you're in the fear, and you take time to process what's going on, you take time to pray about what's going on, then you'll have a correct response. And because the thing about it is, again, what we've read out of two verses out of Psalms already, God will respond to your cries. College students, do we trust that? Do we trust that God will respond to our cries in a crisis? Think about a hard time in your life or you went through a trial. What is your initial response to this hard time or situation that you can't control? Or even take it a step further. Think about how the devil attacks you personally. How does he trick you? How does he get into your mind? How does he mess up your life? How does he try to pull you away from the Lord? As soon as following Jesus gets hard, he will get in your mind and make you think your life before Christ was better. And that's exactly as soon as the Israelites started to doubt. Again, they just saw the Passover. They, if they had the faith and they put the blood on the door, they were distinguished and the angel passed over the house and they survived that night. And that led to their freedom. They just witnessed that. But as soon as they get in the wilderness, as soon as it gets a little hard for God, they said, I want to go back. The Israelites basically said, this is what they said, Moses, I would rather be in Egypt without God than be in the wilderness with God. College students, it's simple. If you're in a place and you don't have God, your problems will beat you every single time. You cannot defeat your problems on your own. But my question is, what's your wilderness? Are you in the wilderness right now? And my follow-up question to that is, do you have God with you in the wilderness? Because the devil will try to make you think your life before Christ was actually better. And if we sit here and think about that, you actually take the, th the time and think about that, about your life before Christ. Think about how you felt. Think about the things that you were going through. Did you have love in your life? Did you experience joy in your life? Did you experience peace in your life? Did you experience the fruit of the spirit in your life? I bet it was very hard because you didn't have the Holy Spirit. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. As soon as you get saved, all of those come into your life. But my question, I'll ask it again. Would you rather be in a place that's easy without God or would you rather be in the hardship with God? That's a hard question. That takes some, that takes some honesty to answer. When following Jesus gets hard, the devil wants you to doubt what God has told you. Because, man, like, I, like we talked about last week, man, God gives specific instruction. Praise the Lord for that. God is detailed. If you have questions, go to the Lord. But I'll be careful with that. It's okay to ask God questions. It's not okay to question God. Because God is calling to each one of you to something specific. But the question is, are you listening? And have you seen the details? Are you going to God's word? Are you going to God in prayer? Are you relying on God in your calm? And I heard a pastor say this a little while ago. I want to say it's a Robbie Gallaty. It may have been somebody else. But he said, the devil is crafty, but he isn't creative. Because again, man, the same way the devil tries to cause us to doubt is the same way he tried to get the Israelites to doubt here in this passage. But let's take it even to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 is going to pop up on the screen. And we're going to look at the very beginning of what the devil did to Eve. Look at this. He's crafty. He's not creative. He's done the same thing for years and years and years. Now, look at Genesis 3 with me. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Look at how the devil attacked Eve. He started questioning Eve about God's word. And then in, first, in verse 4, he changed God's word. If you, want, if you want what God specifically said, you can go look in Genesis 2, and he gives Adam and Eve specific instruction about the garden. That's in uh, Genesis chapter 2. And this is what I wrote in my notes right here. If the devil can get you to doubt God's commands, he will get you to doubt God's calling on your life. If the devil can get you to doubt God's commands, he will get you to doubt God's calling on your life. So a simple question I have to ask as college students is this right here. We have to ask ourselves, how well do we know God's word? How well do you know God's commands? Do you treasure it? Do you store it up in your heart that you may not sin against them? Because if you want confidence in your calling, you have to have confidence in God's commands. Because God's not going to call you to something and then not provide for it. And we're going to see that here in Exodus 14 tonight. As God has led them to the Red Sea, he's not just going to leave them at the Red Sea, but he's going to provide for them through the Red Sea. And Psalm 106 verse 7 says this right here. Our ancestors in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wondrous works or remember your many acts of faithful Love. Instead, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his power known. Again, man, how the devil attacked the Israelites with doubt is the same way he attacked Eve in Genesis and is the same way he will attack you 
in your journey right now. He will cause you to doubt God's commands. And as we go back to, man, talking about your life before Christ and your life after Christ, I would really encourage you, think about that. And, man, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're able to say, man, God, this is how you've changed my life. But for some of us in the room, we may have not had that encounter with Jesus yet. Where, man, you might say, Dakota, Daniel, I, haven't ha- I don't know the difference between my life before Christ and after Christ. Man, there would, there, there's nothing stopping you tonight. You have to replace the lies of the devil with God's truth. That's how you walk in victory. You have to rely on God. In verse 13, now we get to see the response of Moses. And he responds, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. Think about this. Colossians, as Daniel preached on Exodus 3 and Exodus chapter 4, this is the same Moses. This is the same Moses that had the same doubts that you have, that give the same excuses that we give. In Exodus chapter 4, when Moses gave all the excuses of why God couldn't use him, now we fast forward to Exodus 14. He's relying on God, and he's exhorting the Israelites to stand firm. That's what's crazy, Colossians. When you really rely on God, you go from making excuses to encouraging others to trust God. My question, are you fully relying on God? What's keeping you from fully surrendering your life to Christ? I say it all the time. There's nothing good enough in this world that should keep you from a relationship with Jesus. And then that's, a, that's another thing about the devil that will try to attack you with. To make things worldly, the things of the world, the things that are materialistic, he'll try to make those things bigger and better than what, who God is, and that's false. And we'll get to see that in two weeks. We don't have to view next week, but July 11th, when we talk about the golden calf, man, there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. There's nothing that will change your life like Jesus Christ. But my question is, are you holding back from relying fully on Jesus Christ? Because Moses, when he relied on Jesus, on the Lord, he went from giving excuses to encouraging others to don't be afraid and stand firm. And even with stand firm, are you standing firm on the foundation of God? Or are you standing firm on a foundation that's rocky and movable? Man, you have to be built. Your beliefs, your theology, your relationship with Jesus. It's not built on my opinion. It's not built on Daniel's opinion. And man, when we preach at The View, we don't preach our opinion anyways. We preach the word of God because that's what changes lives. And we can't miss this. At this point, Moses had no idea how God would help them. But all he knew was that God was going to help them. Having faith in God in hard times is believing that he will make a way even when there seems to be no way. Just because you can't see the way doesn't mean God doesn't have the way. Just because you can't see the way doesn't mean God doesn't have the way. Fear made them want to run, but the Lord told them to stand firm. Moses told the people to stop. And think about this. Fear will tell you to retreat. Impatience will tell you to do something now. But God told Israel to stand firm as he reveals his plan. College students, stand firm. 
When it seems like there's no way out of your problem, we have to trust the Lord. And man, our pastor's favorite verse, he quotes it all the time. I've heard him preach on this verse before. It's, it's, that, it's his life verse. If you want an encouraging verse, when it comes to fear, memorize Isaiah 41, verse 10. And it should be on the screen. Isaiah 41, 10 says this right here. Do not fear, for I am with you. Say that with me. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. College students, God's word tells you to not fear because he is with you. But do you trust that and will you rely on that? Will you respond correctly to God's word? Because God's word demands a response. And if God's word tells us to fear, that should do something. In, to not fear, excuse me. If God's word tells us to not fear, that should cause us to change something in our life. He is with you in your problems. He is with you in your battles. He is with you in your fight. Don't fight your fight alone. Take it to the Lord. Look with the, and look with me at verse 15 as we continue through our passage tonight. As we come off of relying on God, this is what God's word says right here. Excuse me. Verse 15 says, The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army, and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelites, in going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. Verse 23, the Egyptians set out in pursuit all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen and went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Look at, now look at the Egyptians' response. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Number one, not only do we have to have a reliance on God, but number two, responding to God. You have to respond to God in your fear. If you want to walk in victory from fear, doubts, your problems, you have to rely on God and you have to respond to God. Verse 15, the Lord asked Moses, why are the people crying out to him? And God tells them, it's break camp. Y'all have to, y'all need to do something. They were in a situation that needed prayer, but also needed their response to the prayer. Verse 16, we see God give Moses instructions on what to do. 
And Moses is to lift up his staff, stretch out his hand over the sea, and divide the sea so that the Israelites go through the sea on dry ground. Imagine seeing that. I mean, when you read your Bible, you need to bring Scripture to life. It is so fun when God's Word comes to life. Imagine approaching the Red Sea, and Moses and the Lord are in front of you. And he tells, he tells them to stretch out his hand, lift up his staff, and you see a sea split all the way in half. And the water is like a wall to the left and to the right. And not only that, they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Imagine seeing that. These simple instructions bring the result of an awesome miracle. In the same way, the miracle of salvation happens with simple actions on our part. I wrote this in my notes tonight. Don't miss the opportunity of a miracle because of a lack of obedience. Don't miss the opportunity of a miracle because of a lack of obedience. The rod of Moses did not actually perform the miracle just as we do not save ourselves with what we do, but we connect with God's saving miracle. And what's so cool about this is this right here. Don't miss that this is the same staff that Moses has been using since the beginning of Exodus. God told him in Exodus 4.17, and take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Not only is Moses told what to do, but God told him what he's about to do also. The Lord is going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after the Israelites. And God has a reason behind this. God does this so that he receives glory on what is about to happen. God is going to receive glory by the means of Pharaoh, his army, his chariots, and all of his horsemen because of this moment right here. And verse 18 tells us that the Egyptians will see that the God of Israel is truly the Lord in control. God used the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea to speak to Egypt as much as he used it to speak to Israel. College students, your testimony, what God's doing in your life, how you live your life matters because not only can God use your testimony for you, but God uses your testimony to speak to lost people's lives. The question is, do lost people really see you relying on God and responding to God? Does your testimony show that there has been a life change? That, man, the lifestyle that you used to live, you no longer live it because you follow Jesus, Has there been a change in your life? Has there been a turn in your life? Because, man, when you fall in love with Jesus and when you follow Jesus with all that you have, people will ask questions about your life. I know many of you have jobs. Many of you are surrounded by lost people. Do you do things, not for your glory, but do you do things so that the name of Jesus increases and your name decreases? Do you do things so that people might have the chance to come to know Jesus? You know what Jesus has done in your life. Why wouldn't you want him to do the same thing in somebody else's life? And up to this point, the angel of God was going in front of the Israelite forces. But verse 19 tells us that he then moved behind the Israelites. Verse 20, the pillar of cloud came between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And neither group came near the other all night long, all night long. Exodus 13, 21 and 22 gives us something very important about this because it tells us that the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, it never left the front of them. But look at this right here in Exodus 13, 21 through 22. 
The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Think about that. Think, think about what is going on in this part of Exodus 14 right now because in Exodus 14, it talks about how it moved from in front of them and went behind them, which is true. But think about where the Israelites' position is. When the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them to behind them, it separated the Israelites from the Egyptians. But college students, what's so crazy about it is, as I was studying, this is what I learned about it. The Israelites were never in front of the Lord. They were still always behind the Lord. And that's a picture of how God provides for you and how God protects you. In your problem, God will provide for you and he will protect you. But my question, I've asked it in point one, I'll ask it in point two. Have you cried out to him? Have you responded to him? And are you relying on him in the problem? God separated. In other words, God put himself in the middle of the Israelites and their problem. And God did this to show not only would he provide a solution to their problem, but he would also protect them from their problem. And man, as we talk about problems, all of us have problems in our life. It's, 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 it's a result of sin. We run into hard things in our life. And think about a specific time you had a problem in your life. I know for me, I think back when I was a little bit younger, um, me and my older brother, I have an older brother, and my sister, she was leading worship tonight. She'll remember this story. My older brother is three years older than me. And I've talked about him a little bit before. Um, the guys that I work out with have met my brother. They know my brother. Um, and he's a big dude. He's a strong dude. He's always been a little bit bigger than me. He's not stronger than me, than me anymore, praise the Lord. And he's not as, as good looking as me. He's never been that anyways. But man, I remember growing up, and this isn't the problem. For you guys that do landscaping, tip my hat off to you guys. Because me and my brother, I would cut the front yard. He would cut the backyard. It was like this deal in the house that he had to cut the back. I had to cut the front. And one day, if, you're, if you have siblings, you know this. You compete with each other. Man, my older brother made me better. He definitely he always beat me in basketball because he was bigger than me. But I think I could really give him a challenge now, praise the Lord. But that, that's not the problem about cutting the grass. This is what happened. Man, as we, com as we got more competitive, we had the great idea. We finished the yard together this one weekend. Um, and we had this great idea. Let's see who's faster. And for some of you, if you know younger Dakotas, uh, praise the Lord, many of y'all don't remember younger Dakota. You've probably seen younger Dakota. I was a lot shorter. I was a lot rounder. Um, and so I really wasn't that fast. So for me to race my brother, it was really just me trying to show my pride, protect my pride. And in the midst of this race, man, my sister remembers this. Um, my backyard wasn't super big at my parents' house. We had this huge hill. It's fenced in. But, man, we marked the finish line. You know, for a race, you got a starting line and a finish line. We marked the finish line with the cement bird bath that's in my parents' backyard. And the inevitable happened. The, the worst thing that could happen in a race happened to me. I tripped over my brother's feet. And as shorter Dakota, smaller Dakota, smaller Dakota muscular-wise, but rounder Dakota, as I was going full speed, my full speed wasn't that fast, I dove head first, not intentionally, I dove head first into the cement bird bath. And my stepdad always called me hard-headed. Coach calls me hard-headed from time to time because I, did, I guess I do have a hard head because I knocked the cement bird bath over. I had never seen nothing like it. Praise the Lord, after that incident, after that problem, it got taken out of our backyard. My nephew can play back there safely now. But here's the crazy thing. I lay on the ground. I lay on the ground after hitting the cement bird bath. And I remember 
that it dawned on me and it quit, man. As soon as, when I saw the blood on my face, I freaked out. I mean, I, I cried, I squeaked, I probably squealed, honestly. For some reason, here's a, this was so funny. I got glasses as a young kid. My first question, are my glasses okay? Because I couldn't see anymore. I had blood on half of my face and my glasses were on the other side of the yard. But I quickly realized I was in a helpless situation and there was nothing I could do for myself in this moment. I laid on my backyard. I had blood running down my face. I just tipped over some way, somehow, a cement birdbath and there was nothing I could do for myself. But I cried out for my brother and my mom and they immediately, immediately came running to me. And in this moment, I realized if I wanted the solution to my problem, I had to cry out to the people who could give me the solution. And when I cried out for help, that is when the people who cared about me provided and who provided for me provided the solution to my problem. And for some of you, you don't have the solution to your problem because you haven't cried out to the one who cares about you and protects you the most. Because I remember in this moment when I was laying on the dirt of my backyard, helpless, crying, I remember as my brother being three years older than me, bigger than me, stronger than me, he literally, he picked me up. Props to him. He picked me up as a big boy back in the day. He picked me up. And now it didn't stop there. He carried me to the car. He went to the hospital with me and my mom. I got the care. I got the aid that I needed to solve my problem. College students, you know when you're in your problem, when you cry out to the Lord, you know God does the same thing for you. If you were to just cry out to the Lord, God will literally pick you up. He will carry you through your problem. He's not going to leave you in your problem. But you have to cry out to him and ask for help in your problem. College students, a lot of problems that we have in our life, they're really our fault. But I, there's some things, there's a lot of things we can't control. I get that. There are some things that are just out of our control. But man, praise the Lord, you serve a sovereign God. And when I say sovereign God, you serve a God, you can love Jesus Christ who is fully in control and knows everything about you and would love to pick you up, carry you through your problem, and he'll be your solution every single time. But are you responding to God? Because he's right there for you. All you have to do is cry out and ask for his help. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. College students, will you do that tonight? Will you draw near to God with all that you have and experience what it's like for God to draw near to you? Psalm 74, 13 says, you divided the sea with your strength. You smashed the heads of the sea Sea monsters in the water. Isaiah 62, 12 through 13, he made his glorious strength available at the right hand of Moses, divided the water before them to make an eternal name for himself, and led them through the depths like a horse in the wilderness so that they did not stumble. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their left and on their right. And not only did God split the sea in half, but he also dried up the ground so that they would walk through, walk through without getting muddy. That's the crazy, when, man, when God gives us solutions, he doesn't just give us part of it, he gives us all of the solution and then some. 
That's how much God cares for you. That's how much God will protect you. That's how much God will provide for you. But you have to go to him. This suggests, as I study, this is what I learned. This suggests that we, sh- we too should look for the elaborate, unexpected miracles that often accompany the bigger, more obvious ways that God works to help us. College students, as our title tonight is Do Not Fear, if you walk away with anything, God fights your battles. God can solve your problems. I said it earlier, and I'll ask it again. Are you maximizing your problem, or are you maximizing the God that can solve your problem? Because when you start doing that, I guarantee you, your problems start to just disappear. And when I say disappear, I mean they get, they get solved. And again, life is hard. We get that. Man, as Daniel and I come up here and preach each week, we understand, hear us say that we understand that life is hard. Because we're going through it too with you. But man, what's it look like when you ask for God's help and direction in your life? I can tell you what will happen. You'll walk in victory. You'll live a little differently. When you run to the provider in the midst of your problem, that will cause your problem to run from you. When you run to the provider in the midst of your problem, that will cause your problem to run from you. College students, the questions I have about, the question I have about that is this right here. How often do we run to our solution before running to our savior? Because many of us in here are fighting our problems and we're trying to do it our way. We're trying to go about it in our own strength and our own problem-solving skills. I know school taught us to critically think. But, man, when it comes to problems in your life, if you want true victory, if you want true solutions, you have to run to Jesus Christ, the ultimate provider. Look with me as we read verse 26, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And God's word says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh. That had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on the right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Colossians, lastly, as we walk in victory, as we do not want to fear, number three, we get to experience rescue from God. When you rely on God, when you respond to God, you can experience rescue from God. And as we see at the end of this chapter, as man, from the beginning, as Pharaoh and his Egyptian men, as they ran after the Israelites, and as may, many times as you read through Exodus, I encourage you, if you haven't read Exodus, you'll see Pharaoh's heart. He hardened himself, the first five plagues, and then God hardened the other five plagues. Man, you see Pharaoh say some bold things about the Lord. He even asked who he is. And tonight in Exodus 14, this is what's crazy. 
So when the sea goes back to normal, we can't miss this right here. The Egyptian king who defied the God of creation had his army wiped out by God's creation. God provided a way for Moses and the Israelites because they relied on them and they responded to him. The Egyptians had plenty of opportunities to come to know the true king, but their choices led to their judgment. Whereas the Israelites and their choices had led them to their deliverance once again by walking through the sea on dry ground. If they wouldn't have seen the victory at the Red Sea, the Passover would have meant nothing. They got, they got free from slavery. They were free from the Egyptians. But then they get to the Red Sea. And then if they wouldn't have experienced this victory, it would have been like, what was it for, right? But they would have never made it to the Red Sea without the miracle of redemption at the Passover. And in the same way, the redemption of the cross would mean nothing without the miracle of the resurrection. 